theyeshiva.net. We focus today here. We're at the end of the Mimer. And two, two pratim, two details. Not such details, but two nekudas, two points. First is the Svaidim and Ashkenazim that he mentions at the end. And the second is the Oedis and the Kalim, the Oedis of Tayu and the Kalim of Tikkun. So if you look, ah, page 103, Nun Beis, column 2, 103, the last paragraph. I read it last week, but uh, it was part of the bigger structure, so we didn't focus so much on it. I just want to point out a few in Yonam here, a few points. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven lines from the bottom, Nun Beis, column 2, or page 103. So, it's talking about here the mouth, the power of, of Dibur, of speech. In the writings of the Arizal, as he says earlier in Priyat Chaim, it says that in a mitzvah there's two parts. There's the mitzvah and there's the bracha of the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself, as we know, is min at least many mitzvahs. The bracha is not min It doesn't say anywhere in Chumash to make a bracha. You have an exception. You have birchas ha the blessing before learning Torah, and you have Birchis Hamazun, But most of the blessings that we make for mitzvahs besides learning Torah is not Min HaTorah. It's Midirabono. And the Chazal, Anshik Nasa or sometimes later, we're mistaken for different every mitzvah, its own bracha. Tfilin has a bracha, Laniach Tfilin. Tzitzis has its own bracha. Food has its bracha. There's berches mitzvahs, There's berches anenen. There's berches You put on a mezuzah, you make a bracha. Before b'dikas chametz, you make a bracha. Al beer chametz. Before you eat matzah, you make a bracha. Lachilas matzah. Before you blow shofar or you hear shofar, you make lishmoya kol shofar. Before megillah, I'll make megillah. What's the concept of the bracha? So he said that Arizal says in Itzchayim that the mitzvah generates the er pnimi, and the bracha generates the er makif. As he said, ki, right before this argument, ki the breath that comes from the mouth becomes an ermakif. So there's two elements in the mitzvah. There's the mitzvah and there's the bracha of the mitzvah. By the Svardim and Ashkenazim, there's an interesting argument about tefillin. Do you make a bracha on tefillin that you put on the head? Everybody holds you make a bracha before you start putting on tefillin. The question is, it's not clear in the Gemara. The Gemara says that you make a bracha on Shalrosh, but the argument is that you make a bracha on Shalrosh only if you were mafsik. Meaning, let's say you spoke in between Tfilin Shalyan and Tfilin Shalrosh. So now the second mitzvah, the Tfilin Shalrosh, is a new performance because you made a hafsik, even if you were supposed to make a hafsik. You had to make a hafsik. You're not supposed to. But let's say you, for whatever reason, you made a hafsik. Amin Yehishmir Abba, Yehbarchu, etc. Or for another reason, you made a hafsik. You, you, you interrupted the two through words. So then everyone holds you make a second bracha. Al mitzvah tefillin. But what if you didn't make a hafsik? Do you make a second bracha? 
So this is a machlaikas of the Sfaidim and Ashkenazim, the way they interpret a gemara, the gemara, all the way down to the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. The Sfaidim held you don't make a second bracha. You make one bracha. That's the minig of all the, all the Sfaidim. And those who follow minig Sfaid do not make two brachas on tefillah, only one, unless they interrupt it. And the Ashkenazim hold not that way. You make a second bracha always on mitzvah tefillah. As I mentioned, the place can bring, the Ramah brings that because the sh- second shit is so strong, the second shit has a lot of powerful authority, so you should say, Baruch Shem Kvayt Malchus after the second blessing, because it's a chshash, bracha levatol. So that's just to be machman according to the Svaidim, but the Ashkenazim shit is that you make two separate brachas. At first glance it looks like, it's an argument how to taitra gemara pashat, menachas, how to taitra gemara when you make the second bracha. And already the Rishonim argue how to learn the Gemara. It's not so clear. So it would seem like that it's more of a technical argument. How you touch a Gemara? This one has this. But like in all arguments, there's layers and layers of, of the depth. So here the Balatanya says something. That the Svaidim and Ashkenazim doesn't start with a technical disagreement about how to read the line. It comes from a much deeper place. And therefore they read the lines in the Gemara different. And it's true about all the arguments in Shas. You'll have Tanoim and Amirayim arguing. Do you say this logic or do you not say this logic? Do you learn it out from this Pasuk or do you not learn it out from this Pasuk? Do you dash in the extra hay or you don't dash in the extra hay? Yeah. Do you touch B'Shach B'cha when you're going to sleep or B'Shach B'cha when you're sleeping? B'Komecha, etc. All these types of questions. So the other one couldn't understand the other perspective. They have to argue. The truth is that most of the arguments, or all of the arguments, they come from a deeper place. There's a certain mahalach, a certain perspective that a Tana had or an Amoida had. Bemela, he saw it a certain way. This is, the Gemara often says, Lishitase, there was a shita. And the shita is not just a technical shita. It's a shita in many aspects of life. We spoke about this a few times. And that's why you could have a Tana Amoida argue about 50 different things, but they're all connected. Even though the issue is different, but the ideas, if you, abstr- if you bring them back to their abstraction, if you remove them from their particular lavush, from their particular incarnation, you go back to the Nakuda, you'll see that there's a, there's a mahalacha. That's why the Gemara is so makbid to always attribute a statement to its author, right? Amar Rav, Amar other people say it wasn't Rabbi it was Rabbi And not only who said it, in whose name he said it. And sometimes there'll be an argument, right, four generations back. He said it in his name, in his name, in his name. But somebody says, no, he said it in this person's name. Yeah. Why is it so negeya? It's not just accuracy, that of course. But it's also whose school it comes from. Where does it come from? Whose mind it comes from? This is true about all machlaikas in Shas, in Mishnayas, in Halacha, among Rishayim, among Echerinim. In general, always, yeah. Yeah. And we all know this in our personal lives. When people argue about something, yeah, they're arguing about a technical thing, but they're never arguing about a technical thing. <laughs> they're arguing if the window, the window shades should be down or up, if the lights should be on or off, yeah. if we should use this room or that room, if we should go here or go there. And everyone has their reasons. Those reasons are the tip of the iceberg. And if you go back, you'll see that the reasons come from a much deeper reality. 
which helps because then you could see it from a more broad perspective and sometimes also grow and look at things from a different perspective. What's the Nikud of the Balatanya brings out here? That a bracha of a mitzvah has to do with an ermaka versus an erpnimi. What does this mean? There is the light that comes from the mitzvah that's called erpnimi. That's the light, the energy that is internalized in the person. Whether the person is learning Torah or saying ben, or benching or saying Shema or giving Tzedaka or putting on a mezuzah or lighting Shabbos candles or listening to the shofar or giving Tzedaka to a poor person or doing somebody a favor or davening, or saying Krishna, whatever it is, every mitzvah of the 630 mitzvahs, it brings a certain oil, a certain light into the world and into the person. The bracha that comes from your words doesn't have to do with action. And many mitzvahs are mitzvahs maizis. Whether I'm eating a Shabbos meal, or I'm eating in a sukkah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the shoifer, or I'm shaking a luluv, or I'm putting on tefillin. But the bracha is always dibur, words. That's how you say a bracha. And the bracha brings ur makif. Ur makif is always an ur that is transcendent. It's above. It's above pnimi. Pnimi means that which fits into the character of the person. It's, it's internalized. That's why it's pnimi. Pnimi is the ur that goes into the pnimius of the keli. The keli is masim, is consistent with the ur. makif is the ur that transcends the vessel. It's more uh, superconscious or subconscious because it's not limited to the vessel of the person. It's higher. Ur makif. That's why it's called makif. Makif means it surrounds above. But it doesn't mean physically in spatial terms that it surrounds above. It means that in teichen it transcends what the person could consciously be aware of. And the bracha, paste, the bracha is an invitation to that ermakif of the mitzvah. What's the connection to dibur? Why dibur? Why the bracha? He says, the says, The hevel hapeh. Bekitza we see that speech, words, have a power that is very powerful. And you'll see it well, Atanya says it in Torah, actually, Parshas B'Shalach. You see it, for example, somebody who's teaching. You could prepare a shir. We learned this also in the summer in the Maimah of Reb Hillel. You could be teaching, and you prepare the shir, and you know it. This happens all the time to anybody who's uh, involved in this type of work. While you're saying it, as you're saying it, somehow new ideas emerge that hours and hours of preparation, of thinking about it, of learning it, of, of harving in it, didn't give you. Somehow articulating it in words, even though you would think it's the last phase. This should not be the main thing. The words are just afterthought and after understanding and after experience and after emotion and after cognition and after processing inside. Now you're just saying it. Dibor touches a place that is very deep in a person. Words, which is real reason for this is, we learned then in the Maimah of Rabbi Hillel, no, it's Saifam Betchilasam, that Dibur, which is the first stage where it's going to somebody else outside of you, touches a place in you that you're unaware of. And it elicits a new force of energy or clarity or depth that you couldn't precipitate and have before on your own. This is just the Kayach of Dibur. And you'll see, every person while they're teaching, not always, but very often, as you're saying it, 
there's a new insight, a whole new perspective, a whole new depth that you didn't even realize before. Yeah, yeah. It's also true that when you say it to yourself, it's more powerful than when you think it to yourself. Right? Because when you're forced to articulate it, even to yourself, it's much more powerful. Like, sometimes you have to say something, yeah? Don't just think it, say it. Say it. Say it to yourself. And you'll see or you'll get stuck. It'll challenge you to make it clearer because... To get it from Achshava to Dibur is a very serious journey. It's, it's a serious journey. It requires a lot of tzimtzum, requires a lot of articulation. So that's also true. And that's the first reason why Dibur has this power, because it articulates it. It forces you to structure it much more. Machshava is still elusive. You know, you could think in, everybody knows when you daydream, yeah? If anybody is daydreaming, you could testify right now. In 60 seconds, you could cover something that it takes two hours to say. Right in your daydream, you could travel to Australia, you can come back, you can accomplish a lot of things, you can have 20 business meetings in your daydream of one minute. Now say it, oh, that takes a long time. Sometimes you think you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. So Dibur challenges you in that sense, and therefore it elicits more clarity. It demands more clarity. Like, what are you really trying to say? The same is true with writing. People have, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You can have a Gvaldic idea, write it down. And you'll see, very often, you have no idea. There's nothing here to write. Because writing demands from you a real clarity, similar to Dibur. You have to articulate it. There's a sentence. You have to read it. Like, what am I saying here? Am I saying something? Am I repeating myself? How do you say it? Why is this? This doesn't belong here. This belongs in the beginning. There's something, however, even deeper that happens when you speak to somebody else. That's much deeper. Here you have the element of that by sharing it with somebody outside of you, not in you, you're not saying it to yourself, something gets touched in you that you couldn't have before that. Because the deepest essence comes out in the relationship with the other. And therefore, the Dibur brings forth a gush, a, a current, a... a, a What's the word? A torrent, um, a flash flood, a flow of energy from within in the same idea. That's much deeper. That's called Ermakif. So the Hevel Hadibur creates an Ur, it channels, it, it, it helps you tune in to an Ermakif of the mitzvah. Come to Ashkenazim and the Swadim and they say, Tfilin Shaliyad, you can make a bracha. What about Tfilin Shalrash? Tfilin Shalrash, the Gemara says, it's Kedushas greater than Shalyat. That's why you change a Shalyat to a Shalrash. You don't change Shalrash back to Shalyat. You don't put, because Tfilin Shalrash is considered more holy than Tfilin Shalyat. You first put on Tfilin Shalyat, then you, then you put on Tfilin Shalrash. In the morning, it's brought in Halacha. You say it's brought in Paiskim. Yoytzer Eir of Many people, by Yoytzer Eir, they kiss Tfilin Shalyat. They kissed Phil and Shalrash. Now it's interesting. Light is higher than darkness. <laughs> but here, the Tfil and Shalyad is Eir, and the Tfil and Shalyad is Chayshach. Tfil and Shalrash is Chayshach. But the truth is, you can already see it in the words. Yoytzer Eir, Uvayre Chayshach. Eir is associated with Yoytzer, Yitzira. And Chayshach is associated with Boyre, with Bria. Bria is higher than Yitzira. The answer, of course, is that the darkness here is much higher than light. The reason it's dark is, 
because it transcends the light and therefore it translates into darkness. It's like when the teacher is communicating a profound idea that is beyond your kalim, it translates as darkness, not because it's really dark, but because my vessels are too limited to appreciate it, so therefore I call it darkness. Huh? I'm in the dark. So sometimes I'm in the dark because there's no light. Sometimes I'm in the dark because there is so much light. And I just, I can't grasp it. Sometimes somebody tells you more than your kalim can grasp, which may be the greatest favor for you. But it's called darkness because it's like I'm confused, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. What does it mean I'm overwhelmed? I, I can't, I don't have the kalim for this. I don't have a way to filter this and channel this into my identity. So yoytzer, yitzira is light. Boire is much higher, much more subtle, much more divine, much more infinite, so to speak. It's chayshach. Try looking at the sun in the middle of the day. Look at the sun. What do they say? The light is blinding. Yeah, It's dangerous for the eyes. It's not good. Light is blinding? I don't understand. The point is, yeah, do not look at the sun directly. Not because there's no light there, but because there's too much light for your retina, for your eyes to, to, to appreciate. On the contrary, Khalil can damage it. The light becomes blinding. The light translates into darkness to the point that you, you look, you close your eyes. <laughs> in other words, the light causes a certain chayshach. I, I can't see this. It's too much. I turn away. Yoytzer Eir is Tfilin Shalyad. Bayre chayshach is Tfilin Shorosh. It's much deeper. It's much higher. The question is, can you make a bracha on Tfilin Shorosh? <laughs> so he says, Dashkenazim holds. The minik svart is, they, you can't be mamshach that makif. That makif, there's nothing for you to do. Let it be. It's a makif that your, your words cannot get in touch with. It's too profound. Whenever you could make a bracha, it means that somehow you can access the makif. The tefillin shalosh is too of a deep makif for you to access. That's why you don't make a bracha. Dashkenazim hold. That <laughs> you could be at Mamshech. It could be there, of course, arguing also what type of makif it is. If it's a makif that my words can access on some level, or it's a makif that I can only be silent. The, the, the keli for it is inactivity, silence. At the end of the Mammoth Berendrazis, he says that's the difference of mitzvahs loisus and mitzvahs aseh. Mitzvahs loisasa are considered deeper than mitzvahs ase. Why? Because mitzvahs ase you can do. Mitzvahs loisasa you can't do. <laughs> you could just remain silent. And that silence touches a much deeper place than activity, action. Because there's two types of passivity. There's an inaction that comes from passivity, you know, I just don't do anything. And then there's an inaction that comes from a... From, from, from a recognition, an awe, from strength, yeah. Silence. Silence sometimes comes because I have nothing to say. And silence sometimes comes because there's so much to say. And words are going to ruin it. Or, or it's just, there's no room for words here. There's nothing to say. It's not that there's nothing to say. But all words are going to limit it, are going to filter it. And that's mitzvah slices as deeper than mitzvah essay. There's an expression the Gemara says in Brachus, some of you just learned it, Tfilas Arvis Rishus. 
machloikas of tefillas arvus chayva, tefillas arvus rishus. Ma'ariv is an obligation, or ma'ariv is voluntary. So we say the lashon in the Rambam is ha'idna kavu chayva. Today already Jews accepted it as a chayva, but essentially the halacha is tefillas arvus rishus. Machloikas of Yeshua Ram Gamliel, Ram Gamliel holds tefillas arvus chayva. Shaul's Phyllis Avers Rishus, and because of this, Gamliel lost, was dethroned from his position. Brachas Chavzayim. Yeshua says it's Rishus, it's Chayva. Balatanya says, Mayriv, in a way, is deeper than Shachrus Amincha. It's Yaakov Avinu, it's Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi, it's Boyri Chayshech. Tfilis Avers Chayva means, if you're obligated, it means you can do it. Tfilis Avers Rishus means, it's voluntary. I can't obligate you. Because it's not something that I can put the responsibility on you to bring forth. Here again, on the surface, it looks like Maidiv is Rishus. If you want, yeah, if you want, not. On a deeper level, because it's beyond the capacity of a person to do. Here you see a pattern of Ashkenazim versus Svardim. What's the pattern? When it comes to Makav, the Svardim say, let the Makav be. Don't bring it. <laughs> It's not for you to touch. The Ashkenazim say, no. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Balatanya is not just saying something about the brachas of Tfil and Shanoi, she's also giving a certain perspective about the souls of Svardim versus the souls of Ashkenazim. And I want to be this man because this confuses a lot of people. Nobody knows it comes uh, Pesach, yeah? So some people who love rice for whatever reason, but they're crazy about rice. Like, I wish I was a Svardim. If I was a Sfardi, then there would be no issue of kitneus, because kitneus, which means the prohibition on rice and other legumes similar to rice, happened in the Ashkenazi communities, more precisely in Germany, France, that area, in the Middle Ages, the 1000s or the 1100s. I think the first sources we know is uh, Trumas Adeshen, uh, a little earlier, 1100s, 1200s, maybe early 1300s. And it didn't go, it wasn't in Spain, it wasn't in Portugal, it wasn't in the, any Sfarda communities, you know, so therefore the Sfarda Shei never made this Gzeir, only Ashkenazim, and it's already a time after the Sanhedrin, so there's no Gzeir or Takana that applies to all of Klal Yisrael after the Sanhedrin is dissolved. It's not like the Takanas that were made in the Gemara or in the Mishnah that applied to everybody. There's no Jew who says Hanukkah is not for me, Purim is not for me. Uh, but there are a lot of menhagim, lechadaydi, uh, right? Lechadaydi, Kabbalah Shabbos. Just giving an example is a takana from the Arizal, from his Talmud, the Arizal. The yeshivas they didn't do Kabbalah Shabbos, even though that's a phenomenon that Kabbalah Shabbos took, uh, took over the whole Jewish world. But the there's a few places <laughs> where they don't do Kabbalah Shabbos. They go straight to Baruchu. Okay, it's not. It's not. Uh, it was a takana from later. Say that. So it looks like almost a technical thing that in Germany or France, the rice, uh, the rice fields were right near the wheat fields. And they used to get mixed. It was a very noble takana. It made a lot of sense. The Svardim didn't have it. Yeah, they didn't have it. The same is true with all the machlaikas in Svardim and Ashkenazim. You grew up here, you grew up here. But then the question really becomes, it's a thousand years later. Just because I have the mazel that my Zayda was a Svardim, and you say there was an Ashkenazi, yeah? We're living in the same community, in the same neighborhood, in the same reality, so therefore, this is the Indian. So you could say, yeah, this is how it works. Alpipnimius, it's not like that. It has to do with an Ashama. It has to do with a soul.
That's what you see here. The Svardim and Ashkenazim, and you could see it, that by the Svardim, there's a certain Indian of Makif that's more than by the Ashkenazim. The Ashkenazim were more vulnerable to enlightenment, to uh, the logical structures of Europe, because their souls, what's the difference of Makif and Pnimi? Right? You know the difference of Svardim and Ashkenazim? <laughs> Ashkenazim are very much, they like to understand things. <laughs> for good and for bad. For good and, yeah. I went to a bris the other day of a Svardash bris. Yeah. And I was thinking this would never happen at an Ashkenazah bris. Yeah. bris, everybody's quiet, they wait for the baby, the baby comes in, kvate, moil, baruch they finish, mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov. Yeah. bris, the baby came in, everybody sat down on the floor. Everybody was in the floor. They were screaming and hollering and crying and dancing and giggling. It was a certain uh, uh, freedom of uninhibitedness expression. Ashkenazim have a very hard time with this. Go to an Ashkenazim Shabriz. Go to Ashkenazim Shashul versus Asfadim Shashul. So it's not just a culture thing. That's true. But it has to do, what's the difference of Makif and Pnimi? Makif is an earth that's above you. Pnimi is an earth that comes inside of you. Says Ashkenazim believe Yecholim lahamshech. They want to have some control over the Ermakif too. They believe they could. They could make a bracha for Shoresh. The Sfardim did no bracha for Shoresh. Let the Makif be. It's completely above you. You see it in the concept of Amuna with Sfardim and Ashkenazim. What's Amuna? Amuna is a certain surrender to that which is transcendent. For Ashkenazim, it's difficult. It's at least more difficult comprehend and analyze and dissect very, very much. <laughs> to the point of Meshagas. <laughs> Svardim, I don't mean to make generalization on every Ashkenazi, every Svardim. And there's an Indian in this, there's a mile in this, there's a mile in this. So when it comes to halacha, the difference of Svardim and Ashkenazim, it's not a technical thing. The technical thing is one layer of it. It's rooted in the shayrish of the neshamas of how you relate to the energy of the world. And Eluv Elu, there's, a, there's the value in this, there's the truth in this, there's the truth in this. And here's a classic example for this. Abrach is Ur Makif. Tfilin Shalyad is a lower Makif. Tfilin Shalyad is a higher Makif. The Sfardim say there's no way you could be at Mamshech. Just put on the Tfilin, do not make a bracha. It'll become part of the first bracha. And to Ashkenazim say, this is Lechatchil. Again, if you made a Hefsek, you have to make a bracha according to everybody. And Ashkenazim say, Yichoylam Lahamshech. It's a type of makiv that they tuned into. It's obviously a machlekes, what type of makiv it is. That itself is the argument. But they tuned into the makiv that we could somehow access. When Spartans don't make a they're not mamshachit. They're not mamshachit. Of course it's there. Svid, of course. Uh, we're not racists here. We're not Ashkenazic racists here. The makif is, you can't be at mamshach. My words will only disturb it. They will encumber it. They will obstruct it. They will create a keli for that which is not a keli. Even in makif, there's different. There's a makif we learned in the Maimer and Vazay Sabrach. Remember, there's makif harkariv and makif harachik, right? There's the makif of levushim. There's the makif of bias. A levush is also beyond you. My talus doesn't have to go into me. It doesn't have to be exact measurement. It covers you. 
but it's still some relatable to your body. Certainly other garments. A bias, a house, yeah, it could be a big house, it's a completely different makif. In makif itself, there is makifim that are your own, and then there's makifim that are completely above. Like we all know there's makifim, there's things that are very, very intense, but we have some inkling into it, and then there are makifim that are completely even beyond recognition. Like you may go your whole life and not know this part of you. There's parts of your subconscious, to use psychological language, there's parts of your subconscious that somehow filter into your consciousness at some point or another, at least a glimmer of it, both positive and not, both ways. But then there's parts of you that you're just, you know, you're clueless. <laughs> and it's maybe good that way, because it would be it would be too much. There's certain things, you know, your brain just closes the lid. This is not coming to the fore. It's a different level of makif. It's just a different level of makif. So this is the machlekas of Svaidam and Ashkenazim that he brings in. Yeah, by Svaidam you see a lot of zgulas, you see a lot of brachas. In a chanami, you see a lot of, uh, by Svaidam, a lot of amunas tzaddikim, right? You see by Svaidam very strong. Yeah. You saw by Svaidam also the haskala of Europe, the enlightenment of Europe didn't affect him the same way. Reform, conservative Judaism didn't hit the Svaidam communities. Why not? What's reform? Reform is, we're gonna reform Judaism, we're gonna make it, we're gonna make it beautiful, we're gonna make it work. Not, some of them had very good intentions. They felt in Germany of the 1800s, the first reform rabbi was a man named Abraham Jacobson, the Zayda. I'm just joking. <laughs> a la- same last name. <laughs> I think in Hamburg, he opened up in 1800 or 1808, the first reform, you know, what uh, some rabbinim called cathedral. Yeah, with the organs and the choirs and the rabbis dressed like the galochim and the sermons, etc. Right? A lot of them had good intentions. They said, listen, there's a new generation. Napoleon destroyed the ghetto. We have to fit in. We want to be good Germans. Anti-Semitism will cease. You got to change things. You got to make Judaism that makes sense. It works. It fits into the culture. Take a Friday to reform synagogue. <laughs> run away. Maybe he won't do things on Shabbos that you have to do. But if you're taking me to a shul, take me to the real thing. Don't uh, don't manipulate it. Huh? Yeah, not if you had a chinuch. I'm saying, but it was it was ground that was more fertile. It was more fertile for that type of uh, of change. Because it has to make sense. It has to be internalized, which has tremendous milus. You know, there's the Ashkenazic way of learning and the Svardic way of learning. Also very interesting. Sometimes Ashkenazim will go into the world of pilpul in ways that Svardim will not do it. Ashkenazim will make themselves crazy. Right? They'll analyze and dissect in ways that Svardim often... It's a different... Nusachat uh, Nusachatfiloch is very different. So the Nusach Atfil, okay, so this is already much on a much deeper level, but the changes of Nusach Svar, the Nusach Ashkenaz are all connected to the difference in, in the Zaydis HaMizrach, yeah. In Svar Gufa, there's a lot of Nusachayas. Here he's bringing out one Nekudah that you see about how they dealt with Makif. Fascinating Nekudah. And because it's taka different Nishama, so then Daka, sometimes you need a different Avaidah. It's not a bad or good. That's what we say. This is machlekas of rishonim. It's not elu uh, ve'elu divrei lekem chayim. There's a kudah in emes in this and an emes in this.
you go through all the argument between Sfardim and Ashkenazim, it does not begin with a, a technical thing. If they lived here, they lived there, and therefore this happened, and the rabbi decided to be Machman, and here he decided to be Mekel, and he decided to, because you get to eat rice for Pesach, you have to get up Rishchidosh Elul for Slichus. You know, quit per quo. You can eat rice, but you can't sleep a whole Elul. We can't eat rice, but we could sleep till uh, two days before Rosh Hashanah. As somebody once told me, he says he wishes he could swap. He would give up the rice, and he would love to sleep a whole Elul. <laughs> Today, Baruch Hashem, this quinoa, Sadashkenazim, have the cake and eat it too. For those who are matter quinoa. They make sushi with quinoa. Okay. So I'm telling you. They make sushi with quinoa on Pesach. So those who are matter quinoa, plenty of people are matter quinoa. Sadashkenazim, have the cake and eat it too. And don't do slichas in the month of El. <laughs> We're getting away with murder again. Huh? The world of poetry by the Svaridim was incredibly more powerful than Ashkenazim. If you study Spanish Jewry, yeah, most of its greatest poeskim, a lot of them were also tremendous poets. And it's incredible to read their poetry. There's uh, three books called Kol Shiri Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi. Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi was considered one of the G'dayli Hadar Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi. He wrote the Sefer HaKuzari. And this, the poetry, never mind the Avenezra and Rabbi Shleimer, Ibn Gabir, Ibn Gabiru, Moshe Avanazra, the, the Svardim, they had this, 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 this sense for poetry. And, and so again, you could say they were in Muslim country then, before the Christians took over, and the Muslims were much more cultured and much more developed, and they were into architecture and mathematics and philosophy, as the Rambam himself says, and the Rambam was influenced by it. Yeah, it's all true. <laughs> they lived in, but all of this is part it's not a mistake. It's all part of the providence of the d- journeys of their souls and the missions of their souls. I'll give one example that I heard once from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He said it in the name of G'dayli Yisrael. I think the Ostrov Rebbe, the Ostrov Rebbe writes it. And it could be even earlier, but I think it comes from Rebichil Meir of Ostrovtsa, Meir Enechachamim, I think I saw it once. There was a Psarov in Varsha, I think Revivals, and also says it. The Rebbe said it over from previous G'daylam. Fascinating thing. Also very encouraging. He said that it's known by the Ashkenazim that Rabbeinu Gershom is called Mo'ir HaGoyla. The light of the Gullahs, the light of the exile. Why is he called Mo'ir HaGoyla? Because he was the light of the exile. He lived in Mainz, Germany. The 900s, the 1000s, and he was considered the Rosh Hapoiskim of Germany. So he's called Moir Hagel. But the question is, why did he get this title, the light of the exile? The Rashi didn't get the title. The Rambam didn't get the title. The Mechab of Shulchanoruch didn't get the title. Rabbeinu Gershom was certainly big, but the title, the light of the Gullus. So he said, Rabbeinu Gershom made two Takanas, two famous Takanas, among others. One is, you can't divorce your wife, Balkarcha. Halachically, you want to get divorced, you give a get. Kedushin has to be midaita. She has to have consent. A get, you can give. You want, you want, you don't want. Ben Gershom stopped that. There's no such a thing. You don't give her a divorce because you don't want. Because he felt that this is one of these halachas that are, could be misused. Just like with Prusbal, right? Chazal understood, the story spoke in a very idealistic fashion. A man doesn't get divorced unless it's... Uh, but Rabbeinu Gershom saw that people have moods and men are men. I'm not going to elaborate at the moment. 
So you realize, yeah, you got to deal with them. You got to deal with them. This is an important distinction people don't realize. Torah speaks to a very ide- often to a very idealistic person, a very idealistic situation, just like Prusible. Come Schmidt, you forgive your debts, and then Hillel says nobody's going to lend anybody money. Tikunayim, etc. These types of things. So Rabbi Nagashim said, "There's no such a thing. Your wife has to agree. I don't want to be married anymore. I want to be free. Yeah, that's what men want." <laughs> Guy comes to a rov. He says, "I get. I want to get." He's screaming. Very <laughs> vilnished. You know the Chacham of the Manashtani, you discovered America. You think you're the only one who has an issue? So Ben Gershom said, no way, she has to agree. There are situations where Bezdin can force him, force her, situations where people are just behaving in a very destructive, abusive, dysfunctional way, and Halach is going to intervene. Okay. That's one Takan. Second Takan Ben Gershom made, no polygamy. You can't marry more than one wife. Now, Torah allows polygamy. It never encourages it. Avram was hesitant to take a second wife. Yitzchak never took a second wife. Yaakov only took a second wife because he was deceived. Adam never took a second wife. It's not the, it's not the path, but it's permitted. Polygamy is permitted. Abrinagarishim prohibited it. Now, these were two important takanas of the Ashkenazim. He prohibited it for a thousand years. He made the takana in 948. It ended in 1948, just for the record. Yeah, 1948. Yeah, the beginning of Evanazer, the place came in the beginning of Ramon, the beginning of Evanazer, thousand years not to marry two wives, ended in 1948, because he lived in the 10th century, 948. Of course, in 1948, Ashkenazic rabbis agree that it's good, a good idea to continue. <laughs> not everybody married two wives. So at first glance, it looks like, okay, it's takana, very important takanas. <laughs> Rabbi Geshem understood if you can have shalom bayis with one wife, you're already ahead of the game. Let's not bring in a second wife to the house. Just figure it out with one wife and you'll do well. Right? Everybody knows there's people with one spouse, one husband, one wife, enough challenges. Another one to go to therapy. So you have three therapists for yourself and for each wife. It's hard. One wife is good, one husband is good enough for the wife, one wife is good enough for the husband. But the truth is, there's a pnimius here, there's a much deeper layer to this psak. In the 900s, the persecutions of the Christians were becoming unbearable. And the Rebbe said, the consciousness of the Jewish people was shattered, to the point that the Christians would always say, God chose you, and he abandoned you. This was one of the big things the Christians would say. God chose you, and he abandoned you, threw you away. He divorced you. Look, you're the chosen people. <laughs> Look who owns Europe. Look who could kill you whenever they want. The Pope owns Europe. Christianity then owned Europe. Therefore, it means that God chose you, and then he rejected you. Why? Because you rejected him, according to their story, and he chose a new people. Where Nabeinu Geshem said, you're not allowed to divorce your wife without her consent. It wasn't only a psak on earth. Like every halacha, it's a halacha in heaven as well. It's a truth of cosmology. No, 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 no. God can't do it without our consent. We're the wife. We never agreed. Okay, so the Christian said one more thing. He took another wife. <laughs> he didn't divorce you. He took another wife, Ada and Sila. He took his favorite wife. You could sit over there and weave sweaters and make choland. And uh, he took another wife. Ben Gershom said he can't take another wife. 
The Psaka of Rabbi Nagashim wasn't just a Psaka in Halacha. Rabbi Nagashim was Ma'oir Hagoyla. He brought the light into Golos. He made the Jewish people understand that the relationship with Hashem is as powerful, as intact, as meaningful, and as real as it ever was. Even though there's darkness, they shouldn't think for a moment that the relationship is compromised even a bit. It's the same marriage, it's the same love. Uh, it has not been diminished a bit, even if it's a challenging situation and many sometimes challenges that they don't understand. They shouldn't think there was a divorce or that there was a second marriage. Is unchangeable. The Hester Isaac. And it's true in everybody's personal life. Sometimes a person goes through different challenges. The worst thing is to think that you're abandoned. You were thrown away. You were cast away. All the Talmud, and all this Talmudim, and all their Svanim, if there's one Nekudah, they don't stop with, with this Nekudah. This Rabbeinu Gershim gave the Jewish people these two halachas weren't just technical halachas about marriage. That too, of course, important halachas. Not to minimize the pshat. But it was also a light that he brought to the Jewish people. This is what's brought. So he said, what about the Sfardim? <laughs> Sfardim never got this. So he said, by the Sfardim, they never had a Hava Amina that God abandoned them. Sfardim never had Hava Amina. And Taka, in those generations, you couldn't compare the persecutions of the Christians to the persecution of the Muslims. Now real history has changed the other way. Right? Our problems come from the Islamists, fundamentalists, not from Christians. But uh, then, in those generations, the Muslims, not all, but many of them were extremely, much more tolerant, much more accepting. It's the Christians that had this fanaticism which produced the, the Rambam himself had to run away from Spain and so forth. So the Sephardic communities didn't have this level of persecution that caused within them this feeling of abandonment and neglect, and therefore they didn't need this takana. So this again has to do with different neshamas. Okay, we'll stop here. So, continue. Tomorrow there'll be a shir and Hashem, same time. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Here, no, right here, 20. Their own identity. It's true, it's also true. You see it. It says in Rashi's Chachma that when you get angry, you shouldn't speak. Why? Because by the words, you're going to say things, and sometimes the words can also increase the intensity of the emotion. When you're quiet, it's a big zgula to quiet things down. When people get into an argument and they answer, it elicits more anger from themselves. Very often. No, it is, it is, it is. It's a burden or not, yeah. That the Dibur brings out deeper emotions. It's in a positive also. A person says, I love you, you articulate the emotion, it brings out deeper emotion. And the same is negative. When people are angry and they talk, it sometimes... It's like stalking the flames. It's, it's pouring kerosene on the flames. You have to sometimes just turn away and be quiet. It'll simmer in you, but it'll relax.
You're not feeding the starter. You're not feeding the... <laughs> this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.